0: Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto—the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereum is listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. This was a fantastic conversation with Not So
1: Fast. Uh, I said at the beginning of the interview that, like, he, this guy is literally like I think the 22nd or 23rd person I followed when I was just getting into crypto Twitter. So uh, it was cool having him on the show and really interesting, like diving down his mental model for the crypto space. I think him and I do have a pretty similar mental model. So there's a lot of agreeing there. But um, yeah, it was just it was a whirlwind of an interview. We talked about a lot of different stuff.
0: Yeah, it's always fun talking to people that came into the world of crypto through mining, because that's how I came into the world of mining. So it's always interesting to seeing. Uh, where people go after they, you know, keep going into the world of crypto. Uh, not so fast is a, a very unique story. Uh, we kind of t- touched on it in the episode where I said, that, you know, people get into crypto and then they usually find themselves a community that they you know, identify with. Uh, not so fast is the opposite of that. He seems to be uh, just an amalgamation of everything that is crypto. But before we get into the interview, let's talk
1: about our sponsors. First up, Toro. You guys have heard it all before. eToro is one of the best trading platforms in the world. Uh, They operate across the globe, and they have recently begun offering their services in the United States. eToro USA has been sponsoring us for quite some time at this point. Um, And, you know, they are really a fantastic company and a fantastic proponent for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. Um, I'm a big fan of their platform. It is a one-stop shop. First and foremost, you can stack sats there and pull it off the exchange. Um, but there's a whole bunch of other amazing features there as well. Uh, you can index invest. You can copy trade. So follow a professional trader strategy without actually doing anything. And you can even practice uh, with not real money. You get $100,000 of virtual cash to practice out all your ideas while you're actually stacking sats responsibly on the side. eToro is a fantastic place for all of that. You can Check out eToro using our link so they know we sent you there, b.tc backslash eToro POV. Again, that is b.tc backslash eToro POV.
0: Moving on to our second sponsor, which eToro is a previous customer of, Quantstamp. Quantstamp is the leading company in blockchain security, smart contract auditing, Uh, With their previous clients, they have over $100 billion worth of value secured by some of the smart contracts that they have uh, audited through their various customers. If you go to quantstamp.com, you can uh, check out their extremely robust resume of previous customers, including Binance, MakerDAO, eToro, uh, Nuo, uh, and then some more recent ones like PoolTogether, Sableer, Ardai. So a very extensive list. Uh, of very awesome companies that, that Quantstamp has helped secure. Quantstamp to me is one of these companies that has really matured faster than everyone else. And uh, the issue of smart contract securities are security is not going to go away. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to the future of Quantstamp and, and how they are going to expand. They're already in four offices around the around the globe: San Francisco, Toronto, Taipei, Tokyo. Uh, And so as crypto grows, I really um, am looking forward to Quantstamp becoming a leader in in the space of smart contract security. So check them out at expertaudits.com and check out their suite of services. Quantstamp, thanks for sponsoring the podcast.
1: Next, Unchained Capital. I can't say enough about Unchained. They are one of my favorite companies. Um, Effectively, they are your multi-sig bank account. They offer... Uh, collaborative custody. So that way you can be enabled by the the technology that is Bitcoin multi-sig. With Unchained Capital, it's super easy to set up a multi-sig and they act as a third signer. So whenever you're in a jam, they can always sign for you or you can factor them into your risk model and uh, kind of use them as part of your security measures. Additionally, as you're stacking sats, when Bitcoin moons, you might want to take advantage of that liquidity. Instead of selling, you can use Unchained Capital. You can just take a loan. It's better for taxes. And on top of that, when you use Unchained Capital, you know that they will not rehypothecate your Bitcoin. They're not going to lend it out. They're going to keep it on-chain, in cold storage, in multi-sig. Um, so Unchained Capital, always looking out for Bitcoin, always looking out for your Bitcoins, um, and making it easy for you to take advantage of some awesome Bitcoin multi-sig. Check them out at Unchained dash capital.com and at
0: unchained cap on twitter and let's just get right into the episode with not so fast
1: all right everyone welcome to another pov crypto live stream this time with someone that i've been following personally since i got into crypto i think you're like one of my first 25 follows on twitter uh-huh. um so it, it's exciting to have uh the man the myth the legend not so fast on the podcast. You
2: paint me in a very, a very friendly light. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Um, I'm glad to get down to brass tacks on uh, on talking about uh, Bitcoin and crypto and what it all means in in present day.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, let, let's just uh, start off for for our audience that's not familiar with you. Um, you know, who's not so fast and why do you have 145,000 followers?
2: Well, that's second question I have no idea the answer to. But the <laughs> first question is... Um, I'm a a pseudonymous pseudonymous person in the Bitcoin and crypto space. And I started off mining. um, Well, I I started off as a non-starter, as a lot of people do. Uh, I read about Bitcoin on the Boing Boing blog around 2011. And uh, it's very like uh, kind of San Francisco, California type bent. And there was a lot of skepticism about about it uh, because, of course, It was all um, poo-pooing the libertarian ideals behind it, and so of course it was never going to work. And so I thought, yeah, I know these people are um, the smartest people that I read at the time for the time being. And uh, so I I kind of ignored it and realized, like, yeah, libertarianism is not a super easy to swallow philosophy for a lot of people. Otherwise, it would be very more much more popular than it is. So I left it alone for a while, and then kind of heard about the markets pumping in 2013, and then right at the end of 2013. um, I saw Dogecoin um, just, I think, on some kind of meme somewhere and realized, okay, this with Bitcoin's finances could catch on a lot. And in a way, it was right because it caught me and it caught a lot of other people that started around the same time that I i kind of termed the Dogecoin cohort, though I don't know anybody else who calls it that. But um, it was enough to bring people into Bitcoin. And some of them stayed in the altcoin world and some of them dropped out. And some of them became probably hardcore Bitcoiners. Um, Some of them became traders and miners and everything else. Um, So I started off mining Dogecoin and then kind of became the most prominent hobbyist miner because I was um, live tweeting profitability of spec mining newly launched altcoins. Um, But I had an overarching interest in bitcoin and everything else and i was testing the theory like oh is are altcoins just a vehicle to get more bitcoin or is there potential for like similar long-term value like how does this all work and this is all before like discussion of stock to flow and um you know writing long-form medium articles and having reputable journalists into uh reporting on cryptocurrency regularly you know more than just a Uh, seeming like a silly rag. So the thesis was to, okay, uh, participate pseudonymously, but be a good actor in the space for as long as possible. So like me, the human behind the handle screws up all the time, but I wanted my handle to be like, okay, I'm going to be a good actor as part of my involvement in the space. Because if it's so young, if people follow what i do and my my good example and be a good actor as well then we'll have more good people than we would otherwise and if i just get in here and not really care about stuff and you know scam people if i feel like it um it's really not going to elevate it anywhere beyond that so i guess the combination of those things all together have helped me try to keep a fairly objective eye on everything that's going around even though the space has gotten way too complex for me to be an expert on uh, even one small area. And uh, I've even kind of um, obsolesced out of mining uh, because I wanted to do it at a hobbyist level. And it, that's, that's all but done at this, at this point, but I still try to stay involved with sort of the zeitgeist and the narratives going on and um, know kind of what the trading structure is, know who is driving things and, um, I'm trying to try to stay at a group think and have the good conversations and the hard conversations and challenge my own viewpoints so that uh we i i can i can with a clear conscience and uh clear eyes and a full heart you know um keep keep shilling bitcoin and crypto to uh to whoever might be interested in what it, what it could offer
1: okay that's an aw- awesome intro and yeah kind of <laughs> thanks for getting into uh you know even your your motivations of Intent behind the not so fast pseudonym there's a lot of things I'd like to unpack there right, like first yeah. and foremost like uh the dogecoin cohort like I- i'm so personally I'm thankful for Dogecoin because I think that <laughs> it has brought a lot of people to Bitcoin, and I think you know the fact that you see that and I see that shows our bent to like you know altcoins can be an on ramp to to bitcoin and in the space in general, which I think is something yeah. that you know is is I think that idea is the reason why this conversation is happening altogether.
2: Oh, I would, I would agree with you. And it, it's tricky because there's so much, I guess, moralizing and qualifying what an on-ramp should look like by people who have already come up that ramp. At the time Dogecoin was around, there was no way to really reliably go and just pay money off your credit card to regularly dollar cost average into Bitcoin the way, you know, the the common the common advice goes now um you had to uh practice and you couldn't go spend a bunch of money on gpus and asics to mine bitcoin because you weren't sure if it was even going to be around in a year or so uh so you do it with the practice coin because at least with something like Dogecoin, you'll you'll have a bunch of fun with it and it's kind of funny money. And the the block reward at the time was like random. So it was driving home the extra point of this is how blockchain stuff works and mining stuff works, but it's also like fun and you're it's not meant to be taken too seriously. You know, if you find that you're really, really into it, you're gonna by default already know everything you need to, to get involved into Bitcoin. So there was a very DIY onboarding culture with people already there willing to point you in the right direction to help you out. And because you have to go mine it yourself, there's a very clear difference between that and what we came to have now, which is people just going and telling you what to buy. Because as soon as it goes from somebody telling you how to get it on your own, to telling you where, and what to buy, it opens the door for bad action or misdirection and telling you to buy the wrong thing or telling you to buy like a Bitcoin fork. There's there's less of a personal investment into understanding what you're acquiring and you just start shopping for what people tell you to. And it may not be exactly what uh, what you should be getting into. So That's a a natural part of growth, but that's what I think the Dogecoin cohort was kind of the last onboarding of people who by default understood how to read a block explorer, for example, and understood the difference between um, a token that's launched on another blockchain or a sovereign blockchain on its own. I think that the people who do that now, they've already bought in, they've already paid tuition in the form of losses in getting scammed rather than just climbing up a learning curve of spending a little time. And that's why I think there's a chip on a lot of people's shoulders to become protectivist against uh, people climbing the on-ramp in ways that might hurt them and so it's a lot of like white knighting for the new people thinking like if we don't give them a cushy on-ramp like a like a bumper bowling on-ramp then uh we're not going to get them in here but uh people are fairly resilient and they're as intelligent as you give them credit for i think in most cases so uh it's hard to say um it's not getting worse it's getting easier for people but there's got to be a balance between it being so easy that you just get scammed and uh Difficult enough that you have to learn a little bit, but you also, it's learning that you want to do and you see the benefits. So it's it's definitely gotten harder to advise on how to onboard as the onboarding options have become more numerous and easier for people.
1: Yeah, I actually really like the way that you frame, like there's a lot of ways to onboard into this. And uh, I I think that that is completely true. And I think that that's something that a lot of people on like the Bitcoin maximalist side miss out on is like they think like there's a perfect way to onboard and it has to be you know protect the noobs um, from all these bad ways to onboard all these mistakes and scams that you can get caught up in and i think that they forgot they forget the process of getting to bitcoin max like appreciating bitcoin I, like it's a it's a long process to get to that point it's just not easy and everyone has their own path
2: right right and i'll say this for bitcoin maximalism the the honing of the clarity of the message, especially with respect to onboarding, like that can be a powerful thing, especially for people who they're not really finance or money minded and no matter how much you tell them about what fractional reserve banking is and what the Fed printing money is and what fiat versus the fixed supply is, they're not going to know or care enough. They just don't want to be left out um, in the cold if their money should get destroyed in value. It's the type of person that would look to a financial advisor just to give them guidance so that they don't have to stress about it. So for that, giving a clear instruction to just, okay, if you want to get inter- interested in this, no more than 1% of your net income or savings and only buy a small amount of BTC, Bitcoin, Satoshis every week or every month or whatever your, your structure is as an investment against the current system, not working out in your favor. I think that is a super powerful message, but we shouldn't assume that everybody is at that lowest common denominator level. Like we should allow for people to uh, branch into all possible options that they want, just with an understanding that the risk goes up. And unless you really like, risk and people do they buy lottery tickets and they go to they go to Vegas, pump the brakes. And and hearkening back to the whole uh who is not so fast, the handle I chose was sort of like a reminder to not FOMO into something like, hey man, not so fast. Like if you want to buy this trash coin or mine this thing that's not going to go anywhere, like think twice about it. So it became a reminder for me to like not FOMO. Um before FOMO was really a a commonly used term in the whole thing
0: so i'd like to get your take on the whole DeFi ecosystem because the one of the big uh bull cases for ethereum is that every single individual application on ethereum represents a way to become onboarded whereas bitcoin yeah. like like what what does it mean to bitcoin like kind of all all, all road, roads end up like just buying and holding btc but on ethereum like what does it mean to ethereum could mean anything because you can go do prediction market stuff. You can go do bar lending and borrowing, uh, et cetera. How, how, how do you feel that that fits into that whole narrative?
2: Well, the, the Ethereum thing is fascinating because it's, it's such a bigger, wider at this juncture point of uh, I guess, uptake. And I think it's one that people can be more attracted to for that reason. If they're not, Hard finance-minded, and I think uh, we're still working out the 2017 ICO hangover um, for regulatory reasons and everything else. But it's good because it's given kind of a lot more legitimate projects, and you're way f- more familiar with more of them than I am, just because there's so much more going on um, that I know about um, that I know about with Ethereum. Because the I think the dev environment. Um, for building stuff on top of it is so much more focused on um, non-financial stuff and financial stuff. Uh, I'm thinking not just about like uh, crypto kitty style gaming and and all this other stuff, but about uh, like with all the lending and and um, you know Dex is built on Ethereum and all that stuff. Um, you can tell I'm much less knowledgeable about the breadth of what's going on with Ethereum um, as I am with Bitcoin, just because uh, like the Bitcoin financial vector seems to, even though it has a kind of a shifting narrative goal, it it stays pretty focused. Whereas the whole thing with Ethereum was attract as many people as we can, use this language to build whatever app you can, and we'll glom it all together and we will um, push it till it breaks. So you have like lending at rates that are so massively arbitrageable across current legacy markets that you can do some pretty crazy stuff. And it's a young system. So, um, you know, it's it's still got to be built out with robust oracles so that you can't flash crash and um, arbitrage across different products that are going on in order to sort of break systems and raid, uh, use the code or inherent, inherent. aspects of the oracles to, to rate other funds that are involved in there and sort of uh, take everybody else's money. But um, it's a whole other animal and I don't think it should be invalidated just because there's a strong narrative going on with Bitcoin that it's the, the leader and the primary driver of a new alternate money system. um, That's more robust from the security argument. In any case. Like if Bitcoin is going to be, I say this a lot, if Bitcoin's going to be the one fundamental base layer hard money blockchain, um, you guys are familiar with the Lindy curve of adoption for stuff like that. Um, Ethereum, it gets to travel in Bitcoin's wake, having an easier time right behind it on that Lindy curve, and plenty of other altcoins behind those besides. Um They don't, they may, some of them may represent scams or scams if the project fails and falls apart, falls off the Lindy curve, but we have Bitcoin ahead of everything forging the path. And it's important to note that this in Bitcoin enables all of the things that some Bitcoiners might call a scam, but are built on its DNA, its open source code or ideas derived from it. So that's, Kind of where I think uh, where I think Ethereum fits in in the space. It's like it's it's super important as you as you know when you look at it where where everything's traveling along the same path. Like Bitcoin's the head of the comet and everything else is in the tail, but still part of the comet you realize like, oh, the the infighting and, and nitpicking between the two groups, um, it, it doesn't have to go as far as it does.
0: Yeah, that's actually kind of what I wanted to get to. Um, yeah. Because there's there's a conversation that, that we've had a number of times here on POV Crypto and I've had plenty of times elsewhere where somebody is coming into the space, especially in 2017, where they come into the space because it's making a bunch of noise, but not necessarily because that noise is at, at all coherent. And so they're poking yeah. their head in and they're saying what the hell's going on in this place and then there's like icos and tokens and and you know uh, you know bitcoin forks and bitcoin forks of forks and then and then there's good icos and there's bad icos and so like especially in times like that when there's so much noise when somebody comes in and they step into that world they don't understand who who they are, where their identity is. Whereas now in this bear market, like the Bitcoiner identity has really, really distilled and the Ethereum identity has really, really distilled. And now it seems, and, and this was probably true back then too, but it, now it seems like when you're a newbie stepping into this world, you have a very short amount of time before like the n- narrative of one ecosystem or the other resonates with you. And then you you see people like really gravitate towards either the Bitcoin end of the spectrum or the Ethereum end of the spectrum. And so like, is is this a matter of people's like personality or their ideological leanings is a a good question. Or Mm -hmm. is it something that's just like a happenstance? Like they just read the right Reddit comment first and that made them a Bitcoiner or that made them an Ethereum. How do you think about these things?
2: Oh, wow. I, it's funny because I, I see those two, um, those two things playing out. And without interviewing everybody, like how can we really tell how what what got them to choose to go on board? And and how can we really tell whether somebody started off being into Bitcoin but then realized, oh, this is dumb. All I'm supposed to do is buy satoshis every week. While you five years ago bought bitcoins, full bitcoins every week. Like I'm basically buying your 10 million x. Like I'm not into that. I I think I'm more interested in what if, what's going on in Ethereum. And the same thing is like uh, with You know, other people could start off with Ethereum and say like, oh, this seems like really disjointed and um, everybody's saying decentralization is important and uh, Infura is super centralized. Uh, Maybe Bitcoin is what matters to me. And then there's other people that are like, I don't care about any of this. I don't care about understanding it, but what I do see is opportunities to make money, and lots of people like a big, vibrant trader community. And so, okay, I'll trade some BTC/USD. Okay, I'll trade some Ethereum. Okay, oh, what's Chainlink? I'm gonna go trade that. It looks like it's rocketing for the past several months. Like, and they want to validate themselves as a trader. And you know, I I know that type well because it fits a very large young male demographic, demographic of which I was once part, and I was a trader for like five years straight. Um, on just the legacy markets, and uh, that's a powerful attractor too. And then there's people who are into code and want to create apps, There's people that are entrepreneurial and want to build stuff on either a Bitcoin-based business. Or there's people that are into the culture and they just want to um, find the communities that are the most popular and create Bitcoin-printed and Litecoin-printed and Ethereum-printed socks and sell those. You know, so uh, there, I think there's a whole other large class of people that wouldn't put one above the other or fit in either one of those camps. And um if there's a dichotomy there, like I, I'm I'm fascinated that your experience is that there is a strong dichotomy. Because with mine, it's been that yeah, those two kind of bright spots exist, but there's a lot of haze in between where a lot of other people are totally fine with playing. And 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 just for that reason, um it's hard for me to um relate to any kind of maximalist viewpoint insofar as there's so much evidence that there's a large um cooperative space to enjoy and play around in everything while while things sort themselves out and it's clearly going to take a long time and 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 keep and keep on going giving opportunities for everybody
1: so something that makes me so bullish uh, in BTC in particular, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that has to do with Bitcoin, you know, being first and just kind of being like the everyone's first love type of a situation. But I see BTC being used outside of community and outside of um, identification as a Bitcoiner. Like everyone in the crypto space, and even outside of the crypto space, like they're using BTC because it's like the the reserve currency of the space. Can you kind of talk about in general, like? How you see like the money stack that is in the crypto sphere all working together and like what's your mental model around that?
2: Um, A lot of people like to say uh, interoperability for all this stuff and you get talk about atomic swaps and you get talk about, um, uh, I guess, tokenization versus altcoins and all that stuff. Um, I think at the very beginning, by virtue of Bitcoin's open source, and this is something I talk about over and over again, because I just think it's like a, a strong core of how to how to see the space clearly. There's an argument from open source for altcoins and that because Bitcoin had to be released open source, otherwise it wouldn't work because you couldn't check that you were running the same software that paid everybody, gave everybody the equal opportunity to mine the same amount of Bitcoins at the same rate. You gave a window for people to tweak the parameters of Bitcoin or build on that source code and make it better. And part of Bitcoin's strength was as um, the first and original blockchain, um, there were lots of uh, philosophies in the early times, and I guess they still exist today, saying, well, if anything good gets built on an altcoin, Bitcoin will just take it. And that was true for certain technologies like uh, check lock time verify that op code was developed on the via blockchain and then incorporated into Bitcoin as bip and that enables atomic swap atomic swaps across all blockchains that have that op code in it, which is like most proof of work blockchains there's also interoperability through markets and what this what interoperability through markets does is in the early stages that let people make bets oh well bitcoin um bitcoin dominance matters this is how much i think uh altcoins could or an altcoin could beat bitcoin for the top spot And so it was an early betting platform to just say like this is how valid um an alternative to bitcoin could be either just simple parameter tweak wise or with new technology built on top of it iter- iteratively um there's another vector that arises from that where, yes, the value of Bitcoin is in its fixed supply, but because it has clonable, replicatable open source, there has to be some kind of buffer between that fixed supply and uh, any kind of uh, changes like moving the decimal that you could possibly force through via fork. And you know maybe that fixed supply and the unit bias of 21 million being too small a number needs some interim short term blow off via the creation of new coins and new capacity for that. So when I look at the total market capitalization of all cryptocurrencies and tokens in general, I like to think about it as how many how much is this worth in the total number of bitcoin. Well, that determines the nexus of supply and demand of how many bitcoins we would be using right now if there were only bitcoins and no other altcoins. So, uh, I think the last time I looked and made a chart about this was for a talk I did last year and it was about 30 million bitcoins. I'm like, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good estimate by Satoshi of how many we would need and use. If we were using all just 30 million bitcoins at the moment, trading them and mining them back and forth and building all on that, uh, we'd be just fine. We probably wouldn't need all these altcoins and everything, but because, uh, the vector with the open sources, there's always going to be created a little more than you originally planned for in your supply cap. Um, that's what we're going to end up using. So it's a natural function of having open sources. You're going to get more. And it's, I believe that it's part of Bitcoin, not, uh, not a competitor, but uh, just a long tail of the phenomenon that Bitcoin, Bitcoin created. That's uh, that, That's kind of a long-winded way of coming around to um, what everything is and what everything needs to do. So you know, we talk about Litecoin being Bitcoin's test net. That is a totally valid use for something that could be worth uh, hundred billion dollar market capitalization if Bitcoin is uh, you know replaces uh, gold as a store of value and you know goes n- number goes up as much as we we hope it might. Um, that's still a valid use case. And uh, we've seen a lot of cases where Bitcoin BTC has been under fee attack and network spam attack that lots of stuff goes over to Litecoin. In fact, uh, one of the the biggest uh, atomic swap exchanges um, uses Litecoin as its base currency for its more voluminous pairs, just because the Litecoin blockchain is smaller and easier to sync. And when you're running full nodes of every currency that you want to support for your own trading, um it's easiest to do it with Litecoin rather than a Bitcoin node if you want to do it, um, you know, run a whole bunch of nodes. And of course, all this stuff is very young. When I say Voluminous, that exchange doesn't have a ton of volume or anything like that compared to centralized exchanges. But the point is that it's an option, it's growing, and um, it's one more point of network connectivity that all of these blockchains and tokens living on them, when taken together, represent an ecosystem that can account for more than just the economic hard money that Bitcoin provides us, but also weird stuff and individual stuff like irrational economic action for taste or for community or for uh, project development that could one day be taken up by Bitcoin or Ethereum or larger network. Um, so the more interoperable, interoperable it all is, the more chances um, liquidity and value that creates that liquidity from development uh, wherever you might want to start with it can flow through to where the most people can benefit from it.
0: So I was recently on the epicenter podcast, which hasn't yet come out, but they were giving me a lot of pushback when I said that the moneyness and money aspect of this crypto revolution will converge onto just one platform. Uh, And that's, that's combining the fact that the internet is one single thing, right? There's not multiple internets. There's not separate mm-hmm. networks. It's just kind of this one massive coalesced thing. And also money collects where it's allowed to. Like the only reason why we have multiple different currencies for every single nation is because the nation puts up borders. And So it, sound, it sounds like you think that there's going to be just this mesh network of interconnected blockchains that are all talking to each other and exchanging value with each other. Is it if that's if that's not your opinion? Let me know. But if it is, why yeah, do you think it, it won't converge? Um,
2: well, there's a chance that it will converge, and that uh, that sort of interconnected network will remain like a very small subgroup. Whether that small subgroup is you know 0.1 percent of the entire um, new definition of money that blockchains have created, or whether it's like 2% or whether it's like 25%. um, I'm not sure exactly where it'll end up, but there are a few factors that push it away from it being just one. One is the open source that I mentioned. There's um, virtually no barrier um, to attempting to create a new network. And there's really no barrier to creating a token and then attempting to ascribe value to it experimentally and iteratively so that vector is always going to be increasing the um, the number of alternative networks that there are you know those also die off and that's a decreasing factor but I would argue that as long as effort can be put forth into an area where someone making that effort could receive outside gains for it think the growth will always trump the natural decline of that portion. Then there's this, the whole speculative aspect of it, especially that, um, well, definitely before 2017 in the regulatory crackdown, was uh, it was relatively unfettered and free. And uh, people, many of whom had no business doing so from a risk perspective, could still jump in and speculate. And that's kind of a leap of um, a leap of technology that we don't give a lot of credit because of scams and everything else, but the freedom to speculate like that's a fairly high end economic activity, and even though it's abstracted by some weird technology that someone may or may not understand, it's a freedom that suddenly a lot of people who didn't have now had it. There's a few vectors that will keep the morass of new coin creation and 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 death and speculation on multiple assets and creation of everything. You can call you can call bitcoin like the internet and I think that's a valid comparison, but it's uh it's also it also shares aspects of other networks like networks of groups of friends. Like there isn't just one group of friends. You have multiple social circles and I think that could represent certain aspects of different blockchains and different, uh, different cryptocurrencies. There's not just one way that networks are. And the internet is a great example because it is towards the centralized end of having a single power. it's an easy example to go to when it supports the case for one single blockchain being the most relevant in the future and network effects do work like that. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a pull to the greatest one. But there's also, as I explained, the vectors that pull you to create new ones. If the interoperability is high and speculation ensures that market interoperability by trading remains high, then um, I don't think there's an incentive for those things to go away.
1: That was great. That was great. And I think you explained it pretty, pretty realistically of like those factors and why you see, You know, even if one or two of these, you know, big cryptos is really dominant as money, why the altcoin ecosystem isn't going to die off. I guess uh, where I'd like to kind of just turn the conversation a little bit is Mm -hmm. is talking about you as a spec miner. Can you talk about like what is changing with spec mining? And as a side note, um, like, do you see spec staking as something that it could fill that void?
2: Yeah, that's that's a super interesting question. And I have to preface it by saying that um, <clears throat> the way I liked to spec mine, which was with new proof of work launches that would go to market, um, it got pretty much fully cannibalized by the ability to the widespread knowledge that, oh, you can just create a token on Ethereum for your venture slash scam and do it that way rather than, have to rally a whole bunch of miners. And so uh, miners were essentially cut out of the sort of piggybacking on the profiteering part of the whole token launch ecosystem. That's still happening. However, there is a spec mining vector where, but it's mostly, it, it's it's far more sparse. Uh, most of the proof of work spec minimal currencies you probably haven't heard of and won't hear of until they've been running for a good six to 12 months. Uh, certain exceptions being stuff like grin and it's a uh, wimble ilk because uh, they're a little more um, popular at the beginning before they go main net. But uh, you see a lot of people building th- um, new types of proof of work, uh, whether they're trying to speed up the um, network propagation ability Uh, Whether they're trying to build it in new computing languages, whether they're trying to build an architecture that mines, uh, uh, I think it's two to the 64 um, small blockchains at once Uh, that one just uh, released, I think, uh, 24 hours ago. Um, There's a lot of experimentation at the bleeding edge of code and some of this a lot of this dies off but for miners who are interested in contributing to these networks to sort of battle test them in their um, 0.1 phase if they do continue to mine and you know reach an exchange and people decide to speculate on them and that um that sort of upward spiral allows them to profit at the end of it when this does become an actual ongoing venture and uh workable altcoin chain that has non-zero value. Uh, there is still value in the spec mining there, um, but it takes a lot more chops than just uh, running a miner with a specific algo on your GPUs. Also, mining has industrialized in a big way. ASICs have become widespread, and there isn't a lot of alpha you can capture from mining in your basement on your own electricity anymore. Mostly, most important to this has been the uptake of miners looking to uh, all over the world to find the cheapest or waste electricity they can find and that sort of immediately outcompetes anybody mining at their home retail electricity rates with a smaller amount of equipment just by virtue of those miners cost basis being so much smaller than yours they can dump any market that emerges down to a price below your own break even and so um that makes it a little hard to do. Um, we do see already certain kinds of spec staking. Uh, there have been a lot of altcoins that use proof of work as their initial distribution method. And then they go either hybrid, proof of work, proof of stake. and Sometimes that looks like... Uh, one block goes to proof of work, then one to proof of stake, and then they trade off forever. Or sometimes it's an algorithmic competition where you'll pop a few on staking and pop a few on proof of work. And um, it's a lot harder to attack, to attack those small networks because even if you can fifty-one percent attack the the hash rate, you also have to have a sufficient stake to grind a, out a stake attack against it. So you can really only roll those back um, a few blocks before attacking them. So there is a lot of a lot of potential in the proof of stake world. And though Ethereum is trying to do it its own way, proof of stake has been working fairly well on a lot of smaller blockchains for a long time, uh, especially supported by hybrid proof of work. There have been a few that have succumbed to civil attacks and those are pretty obvious because they're, they just get dumped to oblivion, like the buy side evaporates. It never has that been more prominent than in this, uh, than in this kind of, uh, cryptocurrency well altcoin bear market that's been going since the since the ICO hangover did did that speak properly to what you were saying about uh kind of spec staking or was there more was there another angle of that that I didn't quite get
1: I don't really know anything about spec staking and clearly you know way more about spec mining than I do um but I I was just curious like you know if it's too difficult to mine now like obviously the point of staking for a lot of people is to make it accessible to the normal user again uh so I was curious if that was an avenue that was developing.
2: Yeah, well, it, it is. There's a lot of, um, just so you know that I'm not being like coin partisan or anything to like this, I'll just name drop like a few things that you have like uh, Adam delegated staking and uh, Tezos delegated baking where you get, um, it, you know, it's not super decentralized, but basically larger en- entities agree to abide by delegate rules. And then they kind of hold your coins in escrow but you still retain the keys to those and everything and they stake them for you. It's just, a just a way to um, kill down the noise of the blockchain so that uh, staking by validators happens uh, smoothly by sufficiently powered computing networks or staking nodes. And that way um, it doesn't all fall apart. It's a little less elegant than the, small Bitcoin node with a uh, massive hard drive on it, but it can allow for a few more things that uh, inbuilt to those blockchains that um, that Bitcoin doesn't necessarily have right in it right away. But uh, yeah, staking, staking works. Um, the popular, I guess, gripe about it is that it's broken and it's centralized and it's vulnerable to Sybil, but it was actually all that stuff was solved by uh Douglas Pike on VeriCoin in about twenty fifteen. Um he run a second second blockchain for us. It. Just uh everybody ignored the solution because it wasn't really speculatable upon. VeriCoin had been mostly mined out at that point by its proof of work distribution. So um those papers are still around. They're an interesting read. Um I don't think anybody has bothered to poke holes in them yet. Maybe it's cause uh they haven't been interested to, but i really think um yeah proof of stake was solved 5 years ago um and i i I'll, i'm sure i'm not the foremost expert there's somebody who could uh who could look at those papers and harumph and tell me differently but uh and until someone does uh, it it looks like it makes sense to me uh i'm i'm looking at a staking machine now i've got uh 15 different coin wallets open and staking and they've been going for years
0: So one of the things that makes me so bullish about proof of stake is that the, uh, the low cost of validating the chain, which is what proof of stake is optimizing for, right? It's optimizing for having a a low cost of security, uh, which means that the stakers don't actually have to sell the rewards that they get from their earnings, from their validation, which means that they get to, they get to hoard, which means that they get to, um, they're rewarded for their bullishness. Uh, and so they don 't actually have to sell their sell their coins from the cost of staking, whereas with bitcoin mining. Uh, Bitcoin miners have to sell the coins like they, right. they must sell the coins. It's and you know, Bitcoiners would say that this is a feature because it's a distribution mechanism. And the real stake is actually in the, in the mining hardware and the mining facility, which, you know, guarantees alignment with the network. And that's not something that proof of stake has uh, where, how do you think about these things with, uh, with regards to alignment incentive and security mechanisms? Like do you have opinions well, on this.
2: Yeah. Like you, you, you got it exactly right like it's just two different ways of incentivizing distribution and also abstracting away the stake like for proof of work the stake is abstracted away to physical equipment and there are pluses and minuses to that um one big uh plus to bitcoin in the early days and the early days of proof of work for any new launch altcoin was that if you had a gpu in your gaming rig already You know, that's sunk cost. You didn't have to do much other than point that rig and power at a blockchain network to earn a different kind of reward from it, other than the enjoyment you would have gaming. And the flip to that is the arms race for that squeezes out so that mining becomes more for the industrialized uh, entrepreneur who's willing to take on a lot more risk than just using the GPU they already had in their system. Conversely, um, proof of stake, you know, there's a lot of conjecture that it's uh, vulnerable to cascade failure, where if someone sees the market dumping, they're going to withdraw their stake and dump it on the market too. And um, there's a lot of Weird narrative stuff going on because I feel like it's really highly unexamined. You know, um, there's a, You may remember the sort of masternode craze that happened alongside the ICO craze, and that that has um, died down a fair amount. But um, all the criticisms levied against masternodes, uh, there's a common thing saying, "Oh, your coins are locked in a masternode. They're never locked. Like you can move those coins as if they were sitting in a wallet." The right so word why- was
0: deposited.
2: Yeah. Deposited is a much better word, but people always said locked and they're not. And and yet you don't see cascade failure on something like Dash, the original master node network. Um, there's a lot of value in continuing to support an elevated node long-term. And just because those coins are movable doesn't mean that there's a sunk mental cost to contributing a a desire to anchor one's take to the inflation rate rather than keep them on an exchange or use those coins for spending or anything else like i think the um the abstraction with staking uh doesn't get enough credit just because it is with all the same um, it, it, achieving a proof of work where the work is a ba- can subsumed in a battery of coins that are being held deliberately and prevented from spending are there drawbacks to it sure but Uh, Compared to proof of work, absolutely so. But there are two methods and uh, neither has failed conclusively. Rather, so far, they're both conclusively successful until proven otherwise.
1: So tell me if you agree or disagree with this statement. Yeah. Staking is made possible because Bitcoin exists.
2: Uh, In an indirect way, I totally agree. Um, I'm not sure which the... which was the first cryptocurrency to implement proof of stake. I think it was hobo nickels or something silly like that, which is still around, I believe. But it's a natural progression from thinking, well, is there a way to do this with less energy? And what can we do? Um, Where can we we derive work or a battery of work um, or a representation or a suitable proxy of work so that we can derive an incontrovertible incontrovertible sorry uh software hashing proof that will allow us to secure a blockchain if not from proof of burning energy, so yeah, I think uh, proof of stake is if not for bitcoin, proof of stake it it might have been come to in another way, but uh, definitely is a direct descendant
0: how Christian, how is anything not a result of bitcoin like? At the end of the day, you can always have that road roll back right to Bitcoin.
1: Andreas says this all the time, but he says yeah. that like there may only be room for one proof of work chain, but then there's all this other stuff to kind of build on top of that distributed uh, proof of work um, that they can anchor on as the like that that kind of real rock. So I, I, I think that it, it's important for like altcoin people that kind of wish the flippening to understand that Bitcoin <laughs> does help. these experimentations and and uh the the kind of like furthering of this cause but on the flip side it's important for bitcoiners to understand that like now that bitcoin is here you can do other stuff other stuff doesn't necessarily take away from bitcoin like it can actually add to bitcoin i think you and i agree like i say that all of this space is bitcoin
2: I I agree that if you take a holistic viewpoint to what Bitcoin is, like the most expansive, you can um, you realize that despite you know experiments with with hash cash and e gold and whatever came before it, um, Bitcoin was the first success that enabled everything else to exist, and I think just um, mentally the thing that and I hate to lump them all together, but a lot of Bitcoiners go through is They believed, and then they were validated by the marketplace. But during the period before that validation, they had to endure a lot of cloned and slightly tweaked copies of their original source that they held almost sacred. And I would say definitely some people hold it sacred now. Entering into direct competition just by tweaking a number with a fairly obvious subtext of... If this works, then I'm gonna get rich and Bitcoin's gonna die. And so that those seeds of initial unfair competition, they I think they I think they put a psychological imprint on the Bitcoiner collective psyche. And a lot of them are still arguing against arguments that are uh you know, threats that are long since dead. You know, um no Nobody really thinks that another altcoin is going to overtake Bitcoin um, just because it's better and it's got better parameters or it's a fork of BTC that's better for this reason or that reason. The first mover advantage, I would highly doubt if it's ever going to change away from BTC. Little, tiny, ridiculous, permissionless market blips notwithstanding. You know, there's, there's all this talk of a flipping because it's, it's a meme because it gives us one silly data point for us to look back and say, aha, Bitcoin wasn't top dog anymore. And that's all it's for. Like we know that that condition, A, wouldn't be sustainable and B, would represent a whole lot worse set of problems than we have now. and you know negative valuation for the entire blockchain space. Um with that said, you know are there are there threats that could take bitcoin out and if it were taken out something else would take its place potentially. There I I think there's a state effort to allow exchanges to amass or individuals known individuals to amass large amounts of bitcoin. And an attempt to co opt and control as much of the supply and as much of the trading as can be done via uh, uh, fiatification of Bitcoin by offering ETFs and derivatives rather than trading spot and centralizing of people's Bitcoin to centralized exchanges and attaching it to identity so that once it becomes easy to go back, well, cheaper and easier to go back through chain analysis, um, there's a an indelible record of everyone's you know, um, untaxed transgressions against whatever state has managed to wrest control away of the larger amount of Bitcoin supply. Um, Stablecoins are another sort of fiatification of Bitcoin. So I think those are threats for Bitcoin being a replacement to everything else. And if you have unlimited fiat printing ability, you can attack a limited supply uh, market you know, uh, market manipulated. when I say manipulated, I mean just uh, the the exponential number go up can't happen when you have an unlimited fiat and instruments, markets denominated in that fiat to keep the number from going up. Um, That's, I think, the main long-term threat to Bitcoin that I still believe is even somewhat valid. Uh, um, Other ones aren't, you know, uh, you can't quash the Bitcoin network there's so much resiliency for people to using money. They will boot up solar powered smartphones that run as nodes. They will boot up mesh networks. They will do whatever has to be done to run an, a Bitcoin network through um uh, and other like super wide, low power networking and um, user in Toronto, NVK even sent Bitcoin traction transactions over the radio waves. So I mean, try and stop it. You know, you can't really.
1: We don't want to have to learn how to use ham radios to send Bitcoin transactions. I like no. Them just it's the way it's not
2: right an now. ideal case. It's not an ideal case. But the fact that it's possible shows that, like, even if you make the internet illegal, money and the movement of it is important enough that people will easily do an end run around it. You can't yeah. make the technology illegal because there's too much old tech out there that fits a Bitcoin node and allows it to run. Um, it's an incentivized network. And thus it's the most resilient network that we will have ever at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think that uh Bitcoin node on old smartphones is not that far away. I guess if we were to bring this back to like a last question, yeah. um, if Bitcoin were to go down, you have a very like extensive understanding of like what other alternative consensus mechanisms are out there. Um, we know a lot of Decred people that think that hybrid proof of work, proof of stake is um, something that's head and shoulders above the rest. Like what are you seeing out there and what could be that that other chain? Is it going to be Ethereum, like something that's pure proof of stake and established? Like what could be an alternative if something were to take down Bitcoin?
2: It's hard for me to take pot shots at Bitcoin by picking its successor like that. Um, just there's a, There's such a wide variety of options. I would have to know like i would have to start off with what took bitcoin down before i could pick its replacement if there were a massive sort of coordinated state crackdown libertarians worst nightmare um making it illegal to own bitcoin and your transaction history is directly representative of your sins against the state for which you owe remuneration and taxes then it would probably be a system where that ran really light, and um all transactions were anonymous, and uh it would be battle tested so it could be something like Monero or decred with the uh, with their anonymization factors in there um Ethereum has its own uh properly worth working anonymization protocol it's just not super widespread yet so so something like that could work if it were um something like a massive black swan with a power outage, um, it would probably still be a similar proof of work chain to Bitcoin, just one that did not have such widespread ASIC propagation. So it might be one that ran on GPUs still, or it might be one that ran on smaller ASICs, like could even be Litecoin. This is all just so um, speculative that it's, it's better to think of it as bitcoin having so many different potential fail safes should something ever get knocked out that even if it were the case oh quantum's another really good one uh so there's um the the probably the i had a lot of discussions on this i think uh middle of last year uh due to the just just analyzing the quantum threat the its ability to break sha256 hashes um there's already a failsafe for that. And the edge case for all of Bitcoin's cryptography being irrevocably broken is before that happens, the people at uh, QRL, that's uh, another blockchain would be able to snapshot Bitcoin's blockchain regularly and roll it back as the token on QRL and redistribute it to every Bitcoin user. You know, it's uh it's a pretty hairy thing to imagine happening. But if the quantum race um, there's some strategic lack of disclosure within the development race and someone is able to break cryptography with quantum computing um, and they target Bitcoin and they do succeed in breaking it. Um, visible by like a massive massive double spend or a rating of private keys associated with like the bitmex um, insurance account or something like that there's already a safety net for it that exists out in the wild and would be probably quantum secure enough for bitcoin itself to keep going so yeah there's not much that can take bitcoin down aliens <laughs> they got they got us i, I have got no us. experience with them
0: <laughs> they got us for sure <laughs> Not so fast. This has been a great conversation. Really appreciate your time coming on POV Crypto. Thanks not so s- much
2: for that chat, guys.
0: Absolutely. If people want to find out more about you. I know you're pseudo anonymous, so there's not much to find there. But uh, where should they go?
2: Uh, there's just uh, my Twitter handle at Not So Fast and my plethora of past
1: tweets. All right, everyone. You can find the show at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me
0: at CK underscore Snarks. You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Thanks, everyone.